Hi everyone, it's Stephanie with New Mom Movement. So I'm here today to talk about getting induced. This is a very touchy subject, um, especially for a lot of women, you know, hitting that geriatric age group of 35 and older. I think every OB is just treating every pregnancy essentially to the worst case scenario. So if there's any signs of anything, or if you are already having issues throughout your pregnancy, they're gonna probably just say, let's just get the baby out when, you know, as soon as we can, versus waiting. Um, they obviously have the reasons behind it. They think that what's best is just do their own thing. I do think, unfortunately, doctors have to protect themselves more than necessarily doing what's best for the patient, just so they can avoid getting sued if something does go wrong because they didn't advise for them to remove the baby earlier or whatnot. I think the Sue Happy America that we live in today does actually remove doctors from making different decisions because they don't want family to come back and sue them for any wrongdoing or anything that could have happened and how you can blame the doctor for something that at the end of the day probably wasn't their fault, but somehow the lawyers will find a way to you know, hit them with a lawsuit and really, you know, hurt the doctor. So that I think is really some of this that might be stemming from it. But right now women getting induced is anywhere from 20 to 30% of pregnancies. And so, and most of that obviously is coming from women over the age of 35. And some of the reasons why you get induced from a medical perspective really is coming from preeclampsia or gestational diabetes, fetal growth problems, placental abnormalities, and certain infections that you might be fighting um, that your body can't handle and need to probably just need to get the baby out as, as soon as you can. Those are usually the typical reasons why. I'm actually on a mom's group that's over age of 35 on Facebook, and there was, you know, a mom, like, I was at my 36 weeks ultrasound, and my baby's coming in at, you know, I think they said her baby was coming in at 7 or 8 pounds, and they wanted to schedule and getting induced, and I think it was really at the end of the day, it was like, well, why, you know? And they were like, oh, well, you know, maybe... They just thought it was going to be a good idea to not wait too long. You don't want the baby to get too big. So I think this might be just something where they're trying to help them maybe potentially help the mom not have too much of a postpartum recovery, a little bit more challenging because potentially she might tear um, having a, a baby, but that's pretty average. So I'm not quite sure why a doctor would be recommending that, but there are these random cases where doctors are asking people to get induced. Like it's just, just do it. And I don't, agree with it necessarily obviously there's a natural way of labor getting happening and there's a reason why there's a process to it like you can't really make the fetus grow faster right there's a point where you just have to let natural progression work but within this subject you know getting induced you there obviously needs to be reasons for it for me i was monitored for the last three weeks of my pregnancy because i was scheduled for getting induced at 39 weeks i was 36 years old with my pregnancy and my baby was coming in very small. She was coming in at five pounds. When they did all the measurements, it was strictly her stomach that was coming in in the sixth percentile. So she was extremely underfed and that was a lot to do with the my what they were calling my placenta weak in layman's terms. And so they're like, she's not getting nutrition. She's not getting fed. So let's just get her out, you know, as, at full term as soon as we can so we can start getting her fed. 
And so she doesn't get into distress and, you know, have any other issues that could come along with it. And I said, okay, great, fine, whatever. But because she was small on the small side, I had to go in and do fetal stress tests twice a week on top of my weekly OB appointments. And so I was at the doctor anywhere from two to three times a week for the last three weeks up until my induced date. Um, and so the very last day before my induction on January 13th on the 12th, I was actually sent to the hospital saying your baby is not, your baby is showing signs of stress. So we need to probably put, get you induced today versus tomorrow. And I was like, okay. So we went through that process. Kind of had to change our plans, call my husband from work and be like, okay, you're going to have to leave a bit early, wrap up whatever it is you're doing and, you know, head home. So change the plans a little bit. We were off by maybe, you know, <laughs> maybe about 20, you know, not even 24 hours difference, but it did make a difference because we did have our lives planned out on how we were going to like manage this. It was kind of like a C-section where it was scheduled. So I had, we had some things we were trying to accomplish the day before, unfortunately, didn't go as planned, so we kind of had to, you know, go to plan B and go and, and kind of detour away. But overall, that was what we did, monitor my baby, make sure she was okay up until, you know, the induced date. Um, I will suggest that if you can get it started earlier, I would. Um, there are ways to try to get your labor to kickstart naturally using a pump um, before is something that can help release the oxytocin hormone to kind of get your body to kick into gear. Um, I'm not sure how far early you need to go. We actually had a friend who did end up using her pump early and she did end up coming about a week. I believe it was a week early. Um, and she's, I think she said she used her pump about a week before. So there were some timelines in there to kind of give you a gauge, um, but I would suggest looking at the options online that people suggest or that you can find more information on and potentially do it. Um, the getting induced from the very beginning from start to finish is what I went through. My, my cervix was not dilated at all. It was really only at like one centimeter, so I had to go through everything. So my process was really from the beginning all the way to the end. Um, and so from beginning of induction to my daughter getting born, it was exactly 24 hours. So <laughs> that's how long it took. And I had to do all of that in a hospital. So if the less time you have to spend in the hospital, the better. So I would highly recommend if you have a way to kickstart it, I would, um, and let it come naturally a little bit more than trying to force it um, once you're at the hospital with all with the things that they're going to do. With that said, when you get induced, you're going to go through a couple of steps. So again, it really just depends on where your cervix is at. That is the main determination of everything. So depending if it's at three centimeters or more, you will most likely be able to skip the balloon insertion that I went through. Kenzie clearly has an opinion about this. <laughs> Sorry, this is real life podcasting. Um, I was not able to get recordings done last night. We were having issues. And um, so I'm doing them with her in the room today. So that's new mom. That's mom life, right? So can't stop your life because you got a child in the room. Um, but 
I had to start from ground zero, so where the process is where they're going to stick, you know, a balloon inside your cervix, essentially filling it with fluid to trick your cervix that your baby is essentially down into the area and pushing against the wall to make it think that your body's ready to do to do labor. So it's faking out that there's a baby in your body. Uh, or the baby's there pushing because she's ready to come out. So it's kind of a trick to kind of get hormones to release, to start the softening of the cervix, to get the cervix to start opening. That process was extremely painful. It was the worst part of the entire thing. Um, there is no medication. There is no painkillers. Um, I'm sure you can might be able to if you're desperate. Um, but... For the most part, you're really not on anything during this process. You can determine how much pain you want to intake, though, which was a good thing. My OB that was on call that day pretty much just said, how much can you handle? This is going to be sitting here for a while. This is going to be a couple hours. And so you need to be able to have the pain tolerance of this constant pain here for a few hours. And so that was the main message that I want to share with all of you is Depending if you want less pain and more manageable and just like slight cramping and like a, like a, like a, just like a basic menstrual cramp, the process will probably take longer because you're not obviously asking the cervix to do more, but it will be a little bit less painful if you, and manageable. I personally did go down a little bit more of an aggressive pain route. I've had painful cramps my entire life up until really I was like in my 20s. Did the cramps really kind of go away to not being so painful um, that I did take on a little bit more of an aggressive approach with how much I took on because I just wanted the process to go as fast as possible because I didn't want to be sitting here trying to force labor forever. So I kind of put myself through my own pain more than I wanted to, but I ended up coming out way under, way under schedule on that. So it only took about three hours. I was indu induced at 7 p.m. with the balloon. It was ready to come out by 10. It was falling out. So that meant my cervix was in a good spot. I was at my three centimeters that I needed to be at. And so they were able to, essentially, we were going to be able to move on to the next phase. But I had done so much pain that I decided, hey, can we take a break? I need a nap. I'm tired. It was 1 o'clock. <laughs> it was 10 o'clock. I wanted to, you know, try and get some sleep. And take a break, get re reload essentially the pain tolerance because I was going to move into the next phase, which is um, Pitocin, which is a drug that is essentially the synthetic version of oxytocin that they feed you through an IV to start to, you know, get the contractions to start. So I said I needed a break. So we ended up, I think I took a two hour break. It was like around midnight and they're like, okay, we'll talk about, you know, talk to the doctor about getting you on Pitocin, you know, in a little bit. So I took my little break. She came in, was like, okay, you ready? I got a little nap and she went to go get the doctor, was about to go get the doctor to talk about doing it and the dose. And I had a really, really long contraction. It was really painful. I was kind of stuck in this put contraction for over a minute my baby's heart stopped you know, kind of like those doctor scenes in tv shows where everyone just like runs in the room and things are beeping and people always have a needle that they want to shove into somebody to like fix the problem <laughs> that was essentially what I was going I went through in like a 30 second time frame 
Um, but we did not end up stabbing me with a needle. The doctor was trying not to have me do that. My contraction was going away. So he was like, okay, it's calming down. We're good. Like we'll, we'll get through it. But the baby went through some distress. Her heart only stopped for 13 seconds, which was okay, I guess. So, but he's like, but your baby needs time to recover. She needs rest. We can't force her down the labor process because... It might be too much for her and causes a bigger issue later. So ended up just having to wait. Unfortunately, the progress I made early, I kind of had to reset. And so we didn't come back into this entire process about having it until probably about 5 a.m. in the morning. And um, then we decided to start. They want her to have a couple hours to recover and rest and kind of just re, you know, get herself in another position to handle the next phase. And they had the new, you know, and they're going to have a new shift of doctors coming in and everything. So we ended up waiting. It was about 5 a.m. I got myself on Pitocin and probably was able to, I went and got my epidural. So the labor and contractions started. They were smaller, but the thing is the contractions are so much more manageable because you get breaks between the pain. The balloon, there's no break. It's a constant pain sitting in your abdomen and in your pelvic area for hours. It doesn't go away. It just sits there and it's a constant pain. It's not fun. That's why I'm highly suggesting, really, if you can avoid the balloon process, I would. Um, It would make everything so much better, I promise. That was the worst part. Seems like my daughter wants to join the party, so we're gonna bring her up here. Um, and so I think right now, at that stage, we're gonna do the contractions. That was easier to get through because the balloon was extremely painful to get through. Um, so I ended up doing contractions for probably about three, four hours, and then I would my centimeters were measured there. I was I was at my five, and I was able to get my epidural around 10 a.m. Always check in with the nurse with where the um, where the um, the doctor who does it. Uh, I think they're the anesthetician um, that they are or the anesthesiologist if they're there and available because sometimes they get scheduled for C sections and with that there's a schedule for them already and they will not be available to give you something at some point. So I always call, check with the nurse on staying updated with them and saying, hey, you know, I might want one, you know, I think I might want my epidural in the next hour. Can we get that booked in? Can we schedule it? Those are the things you might want to do ahead of time versus waiting till it hurts. And then like, you may not be able to get the doctor for another hour because he's in or she is in a a cesarean or another surgery or something. So those are the things to think about when you um, want to get, if you're going to get the epidural. The next phase of this was really, really great. Pretty much, I just got to breeze through it. You know, it's in 10. So I went about four hours of just nice epidural numbness, feeling great, get to sit there and relax and watch an HDTV <laughs> on the TV. Um, I got a nice four hour break. I was didn't really get to sleep much. Again, the nurses are coming in and out all the time. It's loud. 
So I'm still pretty big lack of sleep we're going on right now. So, you know, I've been up for over 24 hours. So I was already getting, you know, just heavy and tired. So um, then my contractions were in a good spot for, you know, and then they kind of stalled. And so they give me another dose of Pitocin to help the contractions continue to get stronger and progress. So we did that, and that was the main thing is you just, the contractions is the hardest part. You got to get through to the point where the baby is creating that, you know, the contractions where they need to be to really start pushing. So they were at a point, there was like an hour where we're like getting close, and it was just kind of like almost there, trying to get through the hump and all of that. So then it got to the point where it was like, all right, we're here, it's four o'clock, and that was when we we're going to start pushing. Like, okay, so they went to go get the doctor. And the nurses started me with the pushing process. The nurses are going to start everything with you before the doctor is going to be there. The um, There's a point where the baby needs to be far enough down where the OB's really where it matters. And so the nurses are trained to help get the baby down, you know, further down. So with you to help push and train you and show you and, and help you push and get further down with the child so the OB can really do her job. So you're not gonna have the OB right away on starting to push, so um, at least where I went. But my nurse team was amazing and did everything that they could to try to help me understand what was going on and how I'm supposed to push. And trust me, it's not the same thing. It's the angle of how they're asking you to push was just like this whole other, I'm like, I don't even know how you, I'm like, this isn't like, this isn't like pooping. <laughs> Like it wasn't like there's an angle and a direction of muscle like they're asking you to push that is very unnatural and it took me a while to figure out a consistency of hitting that location and hitting that way so it did take me a little bit longer to get through it but it definitely was not a natural feel of push because I did have enough enough where I could feel with my epidural where I could still feel I never got truly truly fully like knocked out numb in my legs so it was nice because I could still feel my muscles but no pain which is a good spot to be at because if you can't feel anything I feel like it would be even harder to get through the delivery process if you can't understand what muscles you're getting engaged so that's something to think about with how much you push the little epidural button and how much you really dose yourself because if you don't have the ability to feel your push then I, I feel like that does create a bit of a disadvantage because they do say labor could take longer with an epidural because you can't feel and help push the baby along faster. Um, I unfortunately was dealing with a child who was not faced the right direction to come out smoothly. And so I spent almost three hours pushing and eventually the doctor had to just go in and put her hands in there like she was going to go grab a football and hike it and rotate my child and get her in a position. And I had to push and every time she would course, she would go back in and turn her and fix her and make sure she's going to get angled correctly. And then I was able to push and she was able to come out. Two and a half hours of pushing later, my daughter came out healthy, amazing and beautiful as she is. Um, but it was pretty much almost 24 hours on the dot. She was born at 6.45 p.m. So then you get to spend time just with the, you know, bonding time in the delivery room. You do not go upstairs yet. They, they usually wait about an hour before you truly even go upstairs. They take, you know, 
They try not to take the baby away from you right away. They put her on you. They had her just go straight to latching on breastfeeding just to get her on. Um, if your daughter was able or your child was able to do it, she I was lucky. She was able to grab as soon as she came out. She was, I guess, a little bit of a pro from what the nurses were saying that she did a pretty good job. So, um, but at that point, you're just exhausted and tired. So if you don't feel excited or, you know, crying with tears and so, you know, and this happiness when this baby comes out of your body and you're just like, I was just so exhausted so exhausted because I had been up for 36 hours and I hadn't slept and I unfortunately my epidural wore off during my pushing because my labor or my pushing was taking so long and I wasn't pushing the epidural button anymore because I was in labor so like okay I'm not gonna do anything but because it was taking so long my epidural wore off and I felt the very end of my labor and the most, the reason you get the epidural is to avoid all of that pain and I had to feel the worst part of the pain <laughs> that you experience and I will tell you I was in tears and it hurt. So, um, so I was just exhausted. I, I was ex in pain. I was just, I was feeling things I didn't think I was going to have to feel. It wasn't that I wasn't excited about my daughter coming out and, you know, being exposed to life and being on me. I just was just so tired. I couldn't acknowledge her to like, so please don't ever feel like you need to be so happy and engaged and holding her and like, you're going to be doing those things. But if you just mentally just and emotionally just aren't checked in for that moment it's okay <laughs> trust me I couldn't believe how dead I felt and it was not until I really was able to get up into my maternity room and that I really kind of got to acknowledge her a little bit more but she's also going into like she stays in her thing because people are gonna her little thing in our room because she was going to be getting you know her test done and all of that so she wasn't that bonding time is really the only time you hold your daughter or your child until you know you have to go through the feeding process with her um like every two hours or whatever it is so um but you are still extremely tired and they still don't let you sleep they say, oh, you need to sleep, 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 sleep. And then you've got three different nurses and administrators coming in, one trying to handle the birth certificate, one trying to do a hearing test, one doing my blood pressure. You know, it was just not every 20 minutes somebody was coming in the room and wanting to do something to somebody. And it just, I never really got to get some sleep. It was so hard and I was so frustrated with the fact that they wouldn't let you sleep because they're just coming in every 20 minutes bugging you. So I was probably going on, you know, 48 hours with no sleep and exhausted. So just be prepared mentally for that. And it's again, I really wasn't able to like, you know, it really wasn't until the next day. You know, she was born at 6.45 p.m. It really wasn't until the next day where I just, I kind of felt a little bit better. I was still tired. Um, make sure you bring lots of pillows. Bring two into the hospital with you. If you needed more, put this, have them in the car and have your husband go grab more if you need them. But 
sitting in the hospital bed as long as I did from the getting induced. I got out of the bed for, you know, once I was getting the Pitocin and I went and sat on the ball so I can get out of the bed, a little bouncy ball. Um, so I got to do that for a few hours so I can get out of the bed, but it hurts you guys. Like you're in that thing forever and then you can't even walk after delivery and trying to get out of that bed was extremely painful and exhausting. And I just, you can't even like be happy about your situation. Like I personally was having such a hard time being happy and excited about having given birth to my child because I was so miserable. <laughs> it really took some time for me to kind of just feel like, okay, I got three hours of sleep. Great. Oh, I can actually walk a little bit better now. Oh, I'm not hurting so much anymore. Great. Okay, now I can kind of make space to have room to love my daughter and like acknowledge her and hold her and look at her and you know, you know, and interact with my husband more. Those are things you're going to be going through and it's just natural that that's going to happen and it's okay. Um, but don't feel ashamed if you're not in this loving state when you have your child because you have been through so much that it's sometimes might be difficult and it's, there's nothing wrong with that. She doesn't, you know, she's still not aware of you yet. It's not the end of the world. So you're going to be fine. The child is not going to dismiss you because you don't acknowledge them as much in the first 48 hours of life, but understand that you could be facing some of that and it's okay. And it's really going to be, you know, I actually had Anthony, really doing the diaper changing or I, you know, and the nurse is doing a lot more for me because I couldn't move and I couldn't get to my daughter as easily to feed her. So I had Anthony, you know, giving her to me every two hours. And, and that was a thing like that was sort of the husband didn't get to sleep as much either because I needed him to assist me of even getting her what she needed. So just some things to think about afterwards that happens. Um, don't, like I said, just, it's okay if you're not super happy and excited because you just need to kind of recharge. Once I recharged, it was so much better. And it looks like it does in the movies. But I needed to get to that recharged moment to really get there. And it's okay if it takes a couple... It's okay if it takes 24 hours. <laughs> um, but at the end of the day, I will not be trying to get induced the next round. I will definitely... They, you know, my doctors have mentioned, like, every pregnancy is different but at the end of the day, you most likely are going to experience something and most likely may go down the same path. So knowing that in getting induced again is a high probability for me on round two, if it does end up coming to fruition, I will be doing my best to avoid it as much as I can. I just don't want to go through that process again personally. So those are my two cents on getting induced and kind of what I went through and the process and the timeline. Um, yeah. But um, if there's any other questions or comments that anybody has, please go ahead and leave them, you know, in the podcast at the bottom if you need to. And I'll circle back and look at those as other things to follow up with, maybe with an expert or with a doctor. And I've got a couple nurse practitioner friends that I can reach out to. So we'll see how it goes. But thank you again, everybody, and have a great day.